finally, the Brock has come back to... Actually, the first time, Brock Mosley. If you smell la 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 What the Brock is cooking. I'm Bob Cobb from the Bassmaster. Welcome to Mercer. Here we go, here we go, here we go. That's right, here we go. It is Wednesday. Welcome back to Mercer, the Awkwardly Honest Fishing Podcast. We're here week after week, sometimes in the a.m., sometimes in the p.m. Who knows? We're all mixed up. But a.m., p.m., we will be here on a Wednesday. So happy hump day to all of you. Not just hump day. There's other things being celebrated today. Today is an International Day for Disaster Reduction. A lot of people trying to reduce their disasters this week. It is also International Top Spinning Day. Uh, so for those of you that are rabid top spinning fans, congratulations. Have a happy International Top Spinning Day. Welcome to our podcast. And week after week, we try to get you inside the head of some of the best anglers in the game. And uh, I'm lucky week after week to be able to convince a guy to come on here and spend some time with us. But this dude is knock, knock, knocking at that door. And and you don't have to, like if you put a poll out and asked Elite Series anglers to write down unanimous, who do you think, give me five names of guys that haven't won that, that are going to win in the near future. This dude's name is on it. He has been knocking at that door. Multiple classic appearances. Um, four Elite Series bridesmaid finishes, four second place finishes. So he has been so, so close. And I'm happy to report that he's not close this week. He is actually here this week, all the way from Mississippi, one and only Brock Mosley. Finally, the Brock has joined the podcast. Brock Mosley, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm good, man. Just uh, another day in the off season. You've been busy, I mean, and helping out quite a bit from from what I've seen. Uh, spending a lot of time in Louisiana with the storms and that sort of thing. Yeah, just you know, helping out friends and uh, our Cajun family, and uh, you know, most of us don't have a whole lot to do, whole lot going on in the off season. So, you know, I'm a you know a of age male that can that can help. I can I can I can do manual labor, so uh, I wouldn't. Just, you know, I'm close enough to driving distance, and uh, I wanted to help out. So uh, I just went down there for about a week and did everything I could do to help. There's a lot of people on this planet that have never seen an area after it's been hit by a storm. Um, or, or, you know, I've been lucky enough not to see that. What did you see when, when you went down there to help? Uh, man, um, I went uh, the second day after the storm hit. The next I didn't think I could make it um, the following day with the down power lines and uh, the flooding yeah. that was still being dealt with. Um, when I got down there, it was it—you it, <laughs> really can't describe it because I mean, even you know the smell, the fresh trees being snapped, uh, just just everything just kind of had a stench to it, you know, and. Um, just to see what people have to go through is, you know, just pretty humbling. Cause, uh, you know, luckily, you know, I don't think, but there was only a couple of casualties, not many, uh, in the Louisiana side at least, but, um, it was, uh, it was pretty, 
pretty uh, humbling. I mean, it's, it was pretty bad. It, it is amazing how, how much it can change, how weather just by itself, you know, can change things. Uh, and it's, that's why I wanted you to explain it. Cause there's a lot of people who've been lucky never to see that, you know what I mean? And how much, and those there's still people battling, although it's not dominating the news waves or anything like that, it's still a mess in some areas, correct? Yeah. Um, you know, I went down there to help Tyler Rivet his family was the main, main goal to go. Uh, and, uh, I, I was actually on the phone with their family when the hurricane got to them. And uh, I was at Lowe's and got all the supplies that his, his stepdad told me to get for him uh, as far as, uh, you know, felt paper and roofing paper and, and all that kind of stuff. Roofing, uh, yeah, roof tax, just wow, tarps, just anything, you know, we could think of to load up and uh, take down there. And, uh, you know, once we got down there, um, it was, like I said, luckily him, his house, Tyler's house, and his his family's house wasn't that bad of shape, you know, compared to others, you know. A um, few shingles missing, uh, nothing major. Tyler had a fence in his backyard that was gone. That was about it. Uh, it ain't like he has a dog or anything to hold in there. So it, uh, his place actually fared pretty well. But, you know, you're going through uh, some neighborhoods, some uh, subdivisions, and uh, – some houses look like they haven't hardly been touched. And then you get in the middle of it. And then there's one in the middle of the whole neighborhood. That's complete roof is gone. I mean, wow. it's, uh, it's just kind of, you know, kind of neat how it, you know, can destroy one house. And then the next per the neighbor next to them, you know, doesn't like to have hardly any damage. But once we got down there, um, their neighbors is the uh, police chief. And um, once we got them settled in, we asked, you know, the police chief, you know, if there's anything we could do. And uh, he said a lot of their deputies were running, uh, working around the clock to, you know, prevent uh, looting and, and people, you know, stealing stuff. So and they weren't able to work on their own houses. So, Gosh. you know, we took into uh, consideration uh, working, trying to get all the deputies houses worked on as much as we could. And uh, that's what we spent the next six days doing was working on the the uh, first responders homes. Wow. Wow. Well, thank you for doing that. And I, and I know you didn't do it so you could talk about it on podcasts uh, yeah. and you, and you guys have been fairly quiet about it. So, um, you know, uh, I thank you for that, but you, you brought him up, Tyler Rivette, obviously part of your rooming situation with Hank Cherry. Um, but tell me about that, did that rooming situation. Ah, and Kelly, this, Kelly J room with you guys this year as well. Yeah, correct? It's, it's definitely entertaining. <laughs> um you got you know me I, I feel like i have to practice daylight to dark not necessarily outwork everybody but I, if i suck it up i want it to be because i just didn't figure them out <laughs> it yeah. won't be because of lack of effort hank he just can kind of go out there and figure things out pretty quick and he's usually off the water by mid-afternoon and then there's tyler <laughs> you never really know if tyler's on the water he's liable to be in the gym during the day of practice <laughs> And then Kelly, Kelly just, you know, Kelly's not going to be the first one awake in the house. <laughs> he just goes out there. He wants to catch them on a jerk bait. So that's what he goes out there to try to do is catch them on a jerk bait. So it's all, it's kind of entertaining. We're all different. Uh, but we all, uh, you know, have our ways of helping each other out. You know, and, but how important is that? I don't think people, 
know how important it is. You know, when I see all the different rooming situations and some that start, some that finish, some that, it really like to be with a group of people that that put your head in the right space. I think it's one of the things that nobody talks about, but it's probably one of the most important things on the Elite Series. It is, and it's one of the things where you got to be completely honest. Yeah. Um, you know, it's not going to work if you're keeping stuff away, you know. Um, just, you know, just simple things of what depth, you know, you might be getting bit in, um, you know, or, you know, a particular structure, you're getting bit off more than the other. Um, just little things that there's little pieces of details that will help each angler out in their own way. Uh, you know, we don't necessarily share like locations and stuff yeah. like that, but we like techniques, uh, depth, you know, water temp, everything we can kind of soak up like, you know, off of one another to help each other out. And, you know, that's our main deal is to, uh, you know, all of us make a living doing what we love to do. You say you're the daylight to dark guy. You're out there nonstop. It, has that been your entire career or did something change where you were like, man, I need to put in all the hours or is that just what works best for you? Man, that kind of goes back to uh, my baseball days. Um, I wasn't the best baseball player and I don't think I'm the best fisherman. Um, so I need that extra edge of work. Uh, like in baseball, I was always in the batting cage when other guys were back home, uh, you know, enjoying the rest of their evening off. You know, I just – one excuse, you know, I mean, or just can't uh, replace time on the water. Uh, yeah. You know, in my opinion, I just – I don't want that excuse if I didn't put enough work in and do my job, uh, you know, if I do badly. If I do badly, I want it to be just because I didn't figure them out. And that'd be on me. What what did Hank's classic victory or victories mean to you? But more specifically, this past year, you know, he called you up on stage. You know, you were in the mix to take that. Title. What has it meant to you personally? You know, um, we like like normal. We try to keep that that week of the classic just like a normal event. We roomed together all week um, during practice, and we knew one of us would have a shot um at winning uh based on our practices um you know we kind of i stayed on one side of the lake he stayed on the other uh type deal but we were mainly doing the same thing except jerk bait you know i'm not gonna go i wasn't gonna go to the damn throw a jerk bait um, <laughs> <laughs> um you know it was it was a really cool deal and uh you know i i may never win one so it'd be you know being on stage and getting to share that moment with him in history you know it's Pretty cool deal. I mean, it was pretty exciting. I wish I wouldn't have um, stunk it up the first day, <laughs> but uh, it is what it is. And, uh, you know, I couldn't be more happy if I would have won it, you know, just to see him win it again. And, you know, now he's got a shot at doing something nobody else has ever done and being the first three people. But uh, we'll try to keep him from doing that. <laughs> well, what did he say to you on stage or, or, or do you want to keep that to yourselves? Nah, man, he just, he was in tears, you know, man, can't believe I, I did it. You know, when I walked off stage being in the hot seat, you know, it just so happened that his boat was right there. And uh, I think Matt had just weighed in and knocked me off of the hot seat. And uh, yeah. we kind of knew in our heads what kind of weight uh, Hank had, me and Hank did. And uh, when he when I walked off stage, I, I winked at him, <laughs> could know when he had it, and uh, he was in tears. And uh, it was just kind of a cool deal, man. 
Surreal moment, a really uh, an amazing moment. I mean, and it's one of those moments, dude, that you probably don't know it, but I always use the unique thing about our sport is every classic, there's those moments in every classic. There's some little kid that's sitting in the stands or sitting at home watching that moment and visualizing, wow, one day that's going to be me and my buddy up on that stage. And, and when did the, those moments happen for you? I mean, I'm sure you inspired a lot of people this year, both you and Hank, but, but was there a moment for you? Like when you were like, man, th- I got to figure out a way to do this, man. I, I remember every classic champion that I've, I've watched, um, you know, from Van Dam winning, you know, uh, I think it was his third in Birmingham. Um, you know, just, First couple of years on the elites where I was not as consistent and struggling, I was kind of wondering if it would ever get a chance to be on the stage. Um, but, you know, after my making my first one, I was kind of like, that was cool. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that was what I dreamed it was being. Now let's just work on making it every year. But, dude, I still remember, uh, you know, being that guy. Being, I'm sure there's hundreds of college anglers that are sitting there in the crowd just wishing yeah. – they could be on that stage with us. And, um, you know, that's what it's all about. And that's something I'll never take for granted, uh, for sure. But now, you know, once you made a couple of them, it's all about like, let's concentrate on trying to win one of these. (laughs) But, but the dream for you, did it start when you were a kid or was it baseball first and then you fell into this or were you a little kid dreaming of, of going to the classic? My dad was a, actually a ranger dealer when I was growing up. And uh, he, uh, we're not far from Birmingham, only a couple of hours. Yeah. And one of the classics in Birmingham, he had to go work for ranger. And I was probably seven or eight years old at the time. And uh, I got to go. And um, I remember watching Roland Martin weigh in. And I was like, I've been watching this guy on TV, you know, my whole life. And, you know. And I was like, I can't believe guys actually do this for a job. You know, yeah. I just only thought it was a television show. <laughs> and uh, that kind of lit the fire under me. You know, I, I played ball to uh, – I love baseball. Don't get me wrong. I'm a sports fanatic. But uh, I always wanted to fish in the end. And uh, I actually told my ninth grade uh, career teacher that I was going to be a professional angler when I grew up and I actually got in trouble for telling her that. <laughs> and uh, – but ever since then, she's responded back to me, told me I proved her wrong. So that was pretty cool. But fishing's always what I've always wanted to do. So, uh, you know, it's now it's, I mean, it's not like it's work. Uh, it's all about, you know, just enjoying what you do. What, what is the best part of it for you personally of being a Bassmaster Elite Series pro? You know, to be in the spot you're, what, what is the part that you're like, man? I could do that all day long, or that's the part, you know. I love going to new lakes or going to a lake and trying to figure them out in two and a half days. That's the part I enjoy probably more than any of it. Um, you know, that's the reason I can stay out there day like dark. That's why I tell Hank, they get so mad at me waiting on me to go eat at night. And I'm like, dude, getting off the water is not the hard. I mean, once I'm on the water, I don't want to get off, you know. I mean, uh, so it's just that's one of my favorite things about my job is, is getting out there and trying to figure out what those fish are doing that week uh, in those conditions. And, uh, you know, it just never gets old. That makes sense. Makes sense. I mean, you get, you know, in other words, it's, 
it gives you a, your job is fishing, man. And for the first, you can finally in your life say, like, look, I'm out here because I'm working hard. <laughs> Up until you do it for a living, you're kind of like, uh, he just fishes all the time. But when you do it for a living, you're actually out there yeah, working the, hard. The fishing part of it, I never get burned out. Now, when it's hot, it's a hundred and something degrees. I get pretty tired like everybody else. But yeah, most of the time, I'm just like, you know, one of my favorite pros is Charlie Hartley and the way he looks yeah. at the sport. I tell him that every time I see him, I said, you're my favorite pro. And uh, the way he looks at our sport, that's the what kind of way I want to look at it when I'm, you know, 25 years from now. It's amazing. He is a fountain of energy, you know, the, when you watch Charlie Hartley and he absorbs every moment and you're just like, how do we live in a world that is so unjust that, that I mean, Charlie's had his fair of heartbreaks in this sport, but you're just like they're, you know, in the fairy tale books, Charlie Hartley is the guy that always wins. And, and I believe, you know, Charlie Hartley has made a huge mark in our sport and you're right. It's his attitude, but you hear people say things like that, like the most important thing on this podcast, it seemed to have become a trend where anglers are like attitude and your outlook on things is everything. Do you agree with that? Oh, absolutely, dude. Um, you know, and it's, it's a very, very humbling sport. I mean, <laughs> you can finish at the top of the leaderboard and you can finish at the bottom any week, uh, in or out. I mean, it can, it can happen. Um, you know, and just the drive that we have as anglers to make it in this sport is, is, you know, what's awesome. Like I, I fished the open last week. And uh, one thing I like about the Opens is seeing all the young guys or the guys that are trying to make a career in this um, that are pushing so hard. I mean, just take Prosnick. Prosnick's a well-known pro. He took a career chance and just fished all nine Opens this year. Yeah. And you see them in the drive. And then there's hundreds of guys out there in the Opens with that same competitive drive that wants to be where we are on the Elite Series. So um, – it's something you never take for granted, um, for sure. And, uh, you know, there was times where I didn't know if I was good enough to stay on the elites. So, uh, you know, it's, it's very, very humbling. How do you recover from that moment? Cause, cause that is a moment that unless you are the very, very few, like literally it's, it's There's usually on one hand one. you can count. There's usually that... one or two out of each rookie class that are just come in and, compete yeah right away um and i tell guys you know making the elites ain't necessarily the hard part is getting through your first four or five years is the hardest yeah. part and uh you know once you get through those first four or five years and get your feet under you in this industry and as the on the competitive level it gets a little easier is there anything you would do different when you say that the first you know four or five years is there anything if, if you could Genie in a bottle, go back and start your Elite Series career again. Is there anything you're like, man, I wasted a lot of time doing this or focusing on the wrong things or anything like that? Or is it, or did all those things need to happen for you to be in the position you're in right now? I don't know. I mean, it, it you know, our struggles make us who we are. And that's yeah. for sure. But, uh, you know, it's, I don't know if I would change anything. I don't know if there's a right way to make it through all those times. Yeah. Um, necessarily it's just one of them things where you just can't give up you just got to keep going take everything that take all the punches along the way because there's going to be a lot of punches in the gut <laughs> i can guarantee you but how do you do that because i mean 
when I look at, at your career and a lot of different people's careers, you know, there, there had to be moments where you were driving away from events being like, uh, that I ain't one of them. I thought I was, I, in my heart, I want to be one of them, but like, how do you go from that moment where crushing defeat after crushing defeat? Cause that's what this sport does. I mean, if you're going to win, I mean, if you, Kevin Van Dam won 25 times, and he fished for like 29 years. So you're, you're freakishly bad odds of success. You know, you're signing up for something that it's like being a baseball pitcher and being like, I'm going to have one game a year <laughs> that yeah, I'm going to win. And I other mean, than that, they're going to knock the leather off the ball. So I mean, how my, do you, my second year, I finished second to him at uh, St. Lawrence. Yeah. And I was like, man, could he not just break down just one time? <laughs> and let me take this one. Uh, no, but, uh, Dude, it, it coming in, it was, uh, I was 25, 26 years old, and it was intimidating. Yeah. It really was. I mean, guys you watched on TV your whole life um, are now your competitors. And uh, it took me a year to adjust, a couple of years to adjust and get that uh, tucked up under me to where I'm just going out there worrying about me catching fish instead of worrying about what other people are catching. So it, uh, it took some time just to kind of, like I said, just tone it out. When you say it's intimidating, is it just intimidating because of what you're trying to do? Or, or do some of those veterans make it a little more intimidating in some situations? Well, it's just when you're a bass nut and you watch every bass live, uh, back then it was every ESPN show. Yeah. Um, all these guys that you watch for all these years, I mean, are right there in the room with you and you don't want to mess it up. <laughs> Yeah, it it was it was real intimidating, and it's not just the veteran guys; it's everybody. I mean, you know, before I made the elites, I would watch every bass cam, every photo that was the guys were taking. I mean, everything. I didn't miss anything. So, being with them guys the first couple of years, it took me a little bit to find where I'm just like I gotta tone all this out and catch fish if I want to stay around very long. And it, success, was that the biggest switch in your success that you found? Like once you started being who you were to begin with, but you may not have been being him on the Elite Series, is that, do you think that's the biggest, like just be yourself and you're going to find out whether it's for you or not? It, well, my second year, I was, uh, I got to where I was, I had made checks in about half of them going into that St. Lawrence event, but I was pretty much on my last leg financially. Uh, you know, I was 26, 27 years old, about to get married, you know, starting a whole new journey in life. You know what I mean? And I didn't know if I was going to be able to make it past those events. And then um, I finished second in that one. The next week I got another check. And then the next event after that, I finished second again. Um, so I had like, a seventy or eighty thousand dollars swing in four events, and um, that helped turn my career around for sure. That one stretch of four or five tournaments um, definitely helped me uh, to get to where I am today. Did you? Did you? The people around you, your family, did all through the rough time. Did they constantly support you and say, "Hey, you can make this"? Or was it just like it's such an oddball dream that it is normal for your family? 
to turn to you and be like, yeah, maybe you, you should just uh, fill out a job application because this is tough. I don't. Uh, you can ask my wife. She's sitting over there. <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever doubt he would make it? No, never once. Okay. She would just have my back from the very beginning. Uh, and my whole family has. And, uh, you know, I worked hard when I was at home to uh, side jobs to do whatever I had to do to keep going. Uh, she may, I may not have had the been the, or I may not have had the best attitude at times. <laughs> <laughs> but uh she never uh she never doubted me so i i have to give her a lot of credit well that i i always i tell my kids this i'm like all my wish for you is that you end up with somebody who loves you and your dreams more than you you're willing to even love them yourself and and i think that that's one of the things that i'm going to tell you you look through people in the elite series that is a key ingredient that nobody talks about having the right support and the, and the right, like when I looked at your family at Pickwick this year, you know, when you got another second and, and which is a great finish for everybody, except for the dude who gets it uh, and the guy who beats you. Right. Yeah. But, but when I just saw how bad they want it for you, I mean, that has to fuel you while you're on the water. I mean, I, I just see a brief second of it and you obviously live it. Yeah. I mean, I've been close several times now. Um, uh, and then, you know, I had a magical day on the water that day at Pickwick and everything, I, every decision I made went right. And uh, it felt like it was my time to win. You know, you hear about guys talk about them days. Uh, but Bill, uh, you know, he lands an eight pounder and uh, propels him enough to win. And shoot, he's been, I mean, he's been around way longer than I have. He deserved it way more than me. And I was, you know, it hurt, it stung, but if I, like I said, if I lost anybody, I'm glad it was Bill Lowen. Uh, he deserved it 100%. And uh, just, it's just one of them deals where you got to keep putting yourself in position and eventually it'll happen. I mean, just last week in the Open, I started out on day one and fourth. And uh, I had, on day two, I had some really big bites that I didn't connect with on topwater. And the whole way home, I'm ticked off. <laughs> And I'm leaving the open where I finished 15th out of 220, but I'm just ticked off because I put myself in position again. So, you know, just got to go out and keep putting myself in position and maybe it'll happen one day. Do they feel different now, the seconds? You, when I look at those seconds, was it 17 when you got two seconds, the first two seconds? Yeah. Um, you know, then I was like, man, this is cool. I needed the money. <laughs> Um, but I heard Hackney say something one time on camera and it finally clicked with me um, probably a couple of years ago. He said, if you don't win an event, you should leave it disappointed. He said, there should be a hundred guys leaving this event disappointed and only one of them feeling satisfied. And at the time I was like, man, I just want to check. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> but now it, it definitely is where you leave and you're like, man, I mean, it feels like a fifth or sixth place finish just isn't good enough anymore. Um, so that that's what's pushing me and driving me. Uh, you know, I've been fortunate the last two years to have quite a few top tens, and uh, I don't take them for granted or nothing, but um, I'm ready for to get that trophy, the blue trophy. And it feels like it feels like that from the outside. You know what I mean? It really does feel like, I mean – 
it it should happen at any time, <laughs> you know. But 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 that's what's crazy with this because, I mean, it's felt like that for over a decade with Bill Lowen too. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. Um, so and you know now you know last year finishing, I think I finished fourth last year in the angle of the year and uh, ended up fourteenth this year. Now you know my goal is you know I want that angle of the year too. Um, but to get that angle of the year, you got to have. Uh, against our group, you got to have at least three or four top tens, if not more than that. So, um, got to keep pushing ourselves. And uh, I got, I definitely have some stuff I need to tighten up. You know, I had a couple of bad tournaments this year and it just killed me as far as the points goes. But, you know, we live and we learn from it. What do you think you have to tighten up specifically? You know, at Gunnersville this year, I just flat out did not figure anything out. Um, I tried to stay on the lower end of the lake and uh, I should have stayed in the river, uh, which a lot of the guys in the top 10, that event came from the river. But, you know, I just try to force some things, uh, catch them ways other guys uh, were catching them in my house. <laughs> and uh, I just, I just couldn't do it. And, uh, you know, that's just, that was just all about my decision making in that one. And then Lake Champlain, I finished, in the sixties, even though I think I caught 17 pounds a day. Uh, that was just one of them events where, you know, them Champlain's a place you got to catch them and catch them really good if you're going to compete. And uh, it was one of them deals this year. Uh, Champlain was in a, the conditions were like, I've never seen it before. Yeah. You know, we were a little earlier. It seemed, mm -hmm. um, I like it when them smallmouth get offshore and uh, got up there and, you know, I still call them decent, but it wasn't good enough to get in the top top fifty. And then, if you want to win the angle of the year, you got to you may be in that top thirty five uh, every tournament. So, just a few things I got to tighten up and uh, to work on this off season. How do you work on things in the off season? Like, do you do you specifically take techniques or areas or or situations you're confronted with and intentionally put yourself in them to work on those or, or how do you work it work on uh, on improving on those weaknesses well uh a lot of it like this fishing the opens for instance i got asked a lot last week at smith lake why am i fishing opens i'm already in the classic um i said man i want to stay sharp uh yeah. keep, and what i mean by that is you know breaking down lakes in two and a half days of practice um and just tournament decisions on the water decisions during a tournament and that's where i want to you got to stay sharp in my opinion there's times where i'll go practice you know different techniques um to say if they want a jerk bait for instance i'll go to a clear lake that's not too far and uh and try to get some confidence in it um yeah. i got some buddies that are big swim bait guys that want me to come to california and fish a few days with them and uh add that to the arsenal just stuff like that you know but as far as tournament fishing i think the more tournaments you fish the more you rely on your instincts for decision making um not necessarily fishing stuff that you found in practice but having the confidence in yourself to go fish all new water during the tournament and uh stuff like that is is try, kind of what i like to key on in, in fishing opens what do you say every once in a while? And I'm sure you've heard this or seen this on online or whatever. Once in a while, somebody will say elite series pros uh, or pros from other circuits should not be allowed to fish the opens because that's the working man's 
And you and you fished. You that's how you got to the Elite Series. So what yeah. is your take on that, man? You know, we're just you know this is how we make our living, uh, yeah. and this is where we get our income from fishing tournaments. And um, it's just as big of a gamble for us as it is any open anglers on jumping in the opens. Yeah. And, uh, you know, most of the guys enjoy having elite anglers there. It feels like they make, we make them better also just uh, making them step their game up, so to speak, even though we're not any better. Most of the time we're not any better of anglers than those open guys. Those open fields are pretty stacked with, with talent <laughs> and uh you know i enjoy competing against some guys and they make me better and uh i hope they i can make them better speaking of making you better who motivates you on tour like are there specific anglers that and it may may there maybe they're not even guys that you're buddies with that you hang out i mean you guys are all buddies with each other everybody gets along it's always happy joy joy but um is there anglers you look at that you, I mean, man, he's still out here or he's still, he got, he beat me to the boat ramp. Is there, is there anglers you look at and you're like, man, that's what I need to be more like. Man, if Rick Klein don't intimidate you, you're not a Bass <laughs> fan. I mean, at, at his age, he still, he still can hang with us young guys as far as practice goes. He's usually one of the first ones out there. And he's usually one of the last ones off and, and he's 70 plus years old and he's still thriving to be the best that he can be. Um, he can, he can motivate anybody. And then yeah. you know, of course, Raymond with Hank, Hank's got that baseball coach mentality. Um, him and Tyler actually followed me around that fourth day on Sabine river. And every time I caught one, he'd be like, instead of showing it to the camera, he'd be like, hurry up, get it in the box. <laughs> so it's just, uh, you know, he, he's more of the, the motivator, I guess you could say the coach. Uh, but, uh, you know, there's Rick Klein. He can definitely, definitely motivate you as a, as an angler. I mean, he, he motivates you as a human being. I mean, yeah. did you see what he did this week at, at, uh, yeah. Mission? He's been on his boat deck. Yeah. So he slept overnight. If you guys haven't heard this story, he slept overnight in his boat with his son. Um, long rumored that he sleeps on the deck of his boat every once in a while. And clearly it is true. Him and his son slept in their boat. They woke up in the morning and donkeys came down in the little bay that they were in. One of the donkeys was in quicksand. And Rick Klun's son quickly jumped in the quicksand. They spent 45 minutes saved this donkey's life and, and then went on the water to pre-fish and make the rest of us feel like lesser human beings, really. I mean, it's, it's nuts what that man does. Man, it, I, and it, it, what was bad is the picture of him laid out on his boat deck with his sleeping bag. He had his rod still out on each side. <laughs> I'm like, what if he rolls into a treble hook? <laughs> oh, you think Rick Clun moves when he sleeps? I mean, he just goes into – he goes <laughs> – to, uh, what was that thing Han Solo was in? The frozen chrysalis or whatever? He just, he just I think he goes for a very short four-hour hibernation where his body fully regenerates and he actually gets younger. And if he would spend eight hours sleeping, he'd, he'd, he'd look younger than all of us, but he, he's got too much stuff to do. Hey, there's been some Airbnbs we stay in with. I'm pretty sure my padded Phoenix front deck would have been a lot more comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> what? 
What is, I tell people all the time, like traveling on the elite series and fishing for a living. The coolest thing about anybody's job that does this is the crap we get to see. Like sometimes our minds are so melted and my wife will like find out stuff from me two weeks after it happened because you come home and you're just like, what happened? Well, there's so much stuff that happened, but what is some of the strangest stuff you've ever seen on the road or, or pre-fishing competing? Like did you ever come across some strangeness? Oh man, there's, there's a lot of it that you, you just kind of, just kind of want to forget about, <laughs> and, uh, you know, when you travel with a, a bunch of guys like I do, man, there's, there's a lot of stuff that just, you're like, <laughs> uh, for instance, you know, I, I can't even go there. But. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. Whenever <laughs> on this show, whenever you feel like you can't go there, that is the little angel on your shoulder telling you to do it. I've seen Tyler Rivette ask that. We were, uh, for instance, at an open one time, and uh, his stepdad was with a guy from up north that has some Illinois, some good deer hunting. <laughs> and, okay. Uh, he said, Tyler, he's got a bunch of land up in Illinois for deer hunting. Tyler, uh-huh. yet without a hesitant yelled back does he have a daughter <laughs> did he <laughs> he didn't oh but it, i don't even think the man heard him but the rest of the open field waiting to take off hurt him <laughs> <laughs> you know some of the most memorable times on the elite series fog delays when you have guys like swindle who's probably don't even need to be fast fishing he probably needs to be stand-up comedian <laughs> yeah yeah uh it's pretty entertaining. And then uh, there's been a lot of fun times on the road with, with a bunch of guys. And, uh, you know, it's it's pretty fun. Swindle is always a favorite, you know, during the fog delay. He's a guy that always has a big crowd around him because his stories are, are limitless. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how he's got that many stories, but he's the best storyteller, that's for sure. That, yeah, no, definitely. Who's the strangest dude on the Elite Series? Not not in a bad way. I mean, not, some of my best friends are the strangest people I know. But who who's somebody you're like, that's a, that is a peculiar dude? Well, we go back to Rick Klun. <laughs> <laughs> he motivates you the most, and he's the strangest. <laughs> well, he's intimidating, too. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so Rick Klun. Rick I mean, you Klun don't takes- want to get in his bubble when he's trying to sleep. <laughs> Could you imagine if you were just out night fishing, me and you were just throwing buzz baits and you come around a cove? Is that Rick Clun sleeping in the court? Like, how weird would that be? I know. It's not just Rick, he's with his son. It's a, it's, it's a learning moment in life. <laughs> oh, man, I can imagine. Oh, no, it's, 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 he's, I don't get, I mean, Rick Clun amazes me. Like, at what point do you, but I just feel that tournament fishing is who he is. You know what I mean? It's, it's. He don't know nothing else. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah. and, and he loves it like that. That's yeah. what amazes me. Like, I mean, I say the same thing about Shaw all the time too. And like the, the, the energy you would see with him was the exact same energy you'd see on camera and everything. It doesn't change. And you just don't understand where people like that get that. But I guess it's just the relentlessness of, I just want to keep doing this forever. Yeah, I mean it's, and that's kind of that's what I want to be one day. I don't ever, I don't think Hank t- says, man, you eventually gonna get tired of it. And I was like, I don't see that happening, man. I, I love getting out there too much, and like I said, trying to break down the lake in uh, two and a half days, and then 
competing with 100 guys trying to see who figured out the lake better than anybody else. That's what I love about this sport because it's never the same. It, yeah, every day, every situation. You, know, you look at fisheries we go to routinely and you hear people say that, well, why don't you try some different lakes? But even, you know, you look at the St. Lawrence River, how different that river has fished every single time we come. I mean, it's always changing. And uh, it seems when you think you figured them out, you, you've actually let it goes backwards, it seems. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, it's St. Lawrence, for instance, if we go back next year and the lake's opened up. I'll, I'll spend every day practicing the lake and I've never done that. I've always stayed right there in the river. And, uh, you know, it's always different just because we go to the same lakes every year. It's never one the same way every year. Uh, very, very seldom is it even able to compete the same way every year. For instance, last year I finished, I've been there twice or I finished second there twice. Both times I finished second, I caught them a completely different way. And both times I've gone back, or every time I've gone back, it's that particular way is not even a way to compete anymore. So it's just, just one of the things where you got to have to go figure them out every year. Yeah, it's wild. It, it really is wild how, and, and technology too. I mean, there's ways guys are fishing now that you physically couldn't do just a few years ago. How do you stay on top of that? I would imagine that'd be frustrating and not just technology, but, but it's like, the sport of fishing right now, it feels like everybody's getting force fed. I mean, there is information and tips coming from all sorts of areas and innovations with electronics and stuff like that. Does that ever get frustrating as a pro? I mean, you're trying to focus on doing it, but you can't, it's not like, it seems like there's just, it's like drinking, sipping from a fire hose right now, really like just cause there's so much coming at you and you can't ignore any of it because it is your job. Oh, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I'm with Garmin, and one thing, you know, they do, um, they weren't able to do it last year because of COVID, but they in 19, they brought us all in uh, pretty much for a class. <laughs> uh, you know, whether it's on graphing or your, your sonar or your, your live scope, they pretty much had us in classrooms for a day and a half on every little bit of technology they have. Um, so it's, it's one of them deals where – these companies help you stay stay up to date with the uh, technology you're coming out with. But yeah, you're you're right, dude. It just changes every year. And two years from now, it'll be something even even better than say live scope. So um, you just gotta have to change with times. You can't be. I would assume you can't be that. You know, back in the day, you used to hear the Danny Browers a flipper. Or you know, Tommy Biff was a flipper, you know what I mean? All these different, I don't think you can do that anymore. Can you? I do. I, and I don't, I don't live far from the Tennessee river. And I've said for the last couple of years, I said, there's going to come a time uh, where some of these ledge tournaments that you think are going to get dominated by ledge fish. Somebody's going to win one with shallow fish. It's going to go back to your old school jigging, flipping jig days on laydowns and stuff like that. Cause those fish are getting so used to it and so pressured out there on the offshore ledges that I believe it's going to play back into the shallow man's game one day. It hasn't happened yet, but I could see it definitely happen in the future. 
Yeah, I mean, and the more and more they get pressured. I mean, if you look at how graft fishing changed in the Great Lakes, you know what I mean? And it didn't take long. And, and yeah. now this is actually live. You know, that's what amazes me. People, the learning, you know what I mean? Like it's used to feel like you only really learned if you were idling or if you caught a fish. And now, I mean, you, you can learn, you know, the way a fish turns away from your bait, whether it is interested in your bait or not. Uh, what, what's the most shocking thing that technology has taught you? Man, uh, last year when we were at Lake Champlain, I was catching them deep on rock piles, you know, anywhere from 25 to 35 foot deep. And the last time I was there and they were out deep on those same exact rock piles, I was catching them just having my sonar to drop down on them. And it was amazing to me how those fish quickly, those fish would react to your bait by the time your bait got to them compared to your sonar. Yeah. And what I mean by that, by the time you see the fish on your sonar, that fish is liable to be 30 feet away <laughs> from your bait. And you never would know it just going by going by your sonar. Um, so it was pretty cool how quick the live scope was compared to my just regular sonar on my transducer. Yeah, it's amazing what, what, what guys are continuing to learn and the sport continues to evolve. What is your goal? I mean, obviously your goal is to make – was your goal at the beginning just to just to make it as a pro angler? Is that how this started, or, or, or was your goal always set at trophies? No, I mean, for career wise, I would like I, I see myself more as an angler like Swindle. I mean, nothing against Gerald; he's, he's he just don't have a blue trophy yet. But I would rather have them angler the year trophies than a blue trophy because that means you were the best all year instead of just one event. And that's where I would lo love to see my career go. You know, if I win a blue trophy along the way, I'll be tickled to death. Um, but my ultimate goal is now that I've, you know, pretty much made it, I want to win Angler of the Year one time or multiple times if I can, but we'll start off with one time. <laughs> I mean, you got to win the first to, yeah. to, to get multiples, right? So yeah. um, that sounds like a good goal. So do you believe that you'll be one of those anglers who – will contend more for angler of the year than individual titles or, I mean, you've got four seconds. You can't believe that you aren't the guy. Who, yeah, know? but I, I really don't. I mean, I, that's hard to answer. Yeah. <laughs> if, I mean, there's, there's gotta be some things go your way to win one. Um, you know, I've been close uh, a few times now, but um, I don't know. I think I, I would rather be, have that, angle the year trophy at the end of the year um, and kind of mark that legend status down. But, you know, we got so many great anglers in my age class. It seems like, you know, the age class I'm in is just stacked, you know, you know, from Polinick to Seth, the the Johnsons, to Gussie, Drew. I mean, we can just go all day. I mean, the list is so long. I don't, I just, you know, just there's so many good anglers that could win that title year in and year out. So uh, I'm just glad I can be a part of them, compete with them every day. Well, you're definitely a part of it and a, a very valuable part of the elite series. And, and 
I don't think anybody questions whether or not that title will come your way. I mean, it, it's it's coming. I mean, those pesky Bill Dance or Bill Bill Lowen, not Bill Dance. I mean, he's pesky too. It was his birthday last week. Happy birthday, Bill Dance. <laughs> <laughs> and Bill Lowen. I think it was his birthday too recently. My gosh, both of them. So that's why I brought that up. But uh, <laughs> I'm I'm sure it's coming for you. But but uh, the the one thing that it really stands out to me is just your it seems like an inner peace almost like when I watch you, I remember when you first joined the elite series and you felt like a guy who was to me, and this is just all from the outside. Like this isn't anything you said, but you felt like a guy who's like, I want to show people I'm meant to be here. And now it just feels like you don't feel like you need to show people you meant to be here. I mean, you're, you're confident in your abilities and, uh, and and I don't think anyone questions whether you're meant to be here or not. Is is, is that true? Do you do any truth to my feelings? Man, a couple of years ago, it was after my fourth year on the elites. I sent a text message to John Cruz because I got a lot of respect for John, and I said, "Dude, how many years did it take you till you felt like you had made it?" He said, "About the end of year five. Wow. And. Um, about halfway through year five for me, I actually felt like I had made it. And uh, it kind of makes you fish a lot more freely, a lot, lot less stress on you. Um, it really does. Um, so, you know, I'm just just kind of glad where I'm at right now and uh, enjoying every bit of it. And uh, like I said, I just – funnest part to me is going to lakes now, trying to break them down in two and a half days and seeing – how well I did and at the end of the week. <laughs> well, last few years, it's, it's worked out pretty good for you. So I enjoy having you on the Elite Series, and I enjoy having you here on this podcast. Yeah, uh, I enjoy being here. I'm not good at ending them, so see ya. <laughs> All right, man. We'll see you later. <laughs> no drama, no bull crap, just two good dudes having a good conversation, and that's all I will ever promise you from this show, and, and I'm fine with this show just being that, just just two dudes having awkward conversations. And uh, without you guys, though, it's just becomes really awkward. So thank you for growing this channel week after week and sharing this show. Um, like Pat McAfee says, uh, be a friend, tell a friend. So I, I, I don't want to totally rip off Pat McAfee, um, so I'll get super original. I'll say, be a pal. And tell a pal about our silly little show each and every Wednesday, whether it's the a.m. or the p.m. It will be up at 6 a.m. or p.m. Let me know. We're still deciding. I think this one's up in the morning or it might be night. I don't know. You guys know. Really, it doesn't matter when it's up as long as you guys watch it. And, and if you do, you'll be able to watch it again next week. And, and let me know what you guys think of the guests, too. I mean, who, who do you want to see on here? Um and and if, if if you're somebody watching that thinks you should be on this show, you're a professional angler or something, people wonder how to get on this show. Just fire me a text. It's really, it's really not that hard. I am the booker, the host, the 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 idiot that signed up for this week after week, and and I'm thankful that you are the viewer. See ya. Thanks for watching. Please like, comment, and subscribe. Because Bob Cobb of the Bassmaster told you to, you hear?